Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in Brooklyn with Nets guard Spencer Dinwiddie, the owner of a new three-year, $34 million deal. You still like the sound of that, Spence? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it settled in a little bit, but it's definitely nice to hear. Let me ask you this. You were a player who, that number was sort of out there. Like, everybody knew when you became um, extension eligible, like mm-hmm. December 7th or 8th. And, you know, team had all season to do it, and you did. But it became a thing where I think people were really rooting for you. They know your story. They know where you came from in this league, yeah. from the G League and second round when you would have been a lottery pick out of college if you hadn't been injured. And Did you feel that along the way that people were rooting for you to get your deal? Yeah, um, I think. Prior to December 8th, it was kind of some anticipation from, uh, I guess like the fan base and some people in general. Cause I think they just kind of expected it to just happen on like December midnight, 8th. Like midnight, 1201. Yeah, like it was yeah. just going to release because I had publicly said like, oh, you know, um, if they, if they come with the extension, I'll, I'll take it. Um, and then when it didn't happen on December 8th for like the week or so that, um, I was, I guess unsigned, quote unquote, um, that that's when kind of the momentum of the the fan base and just people in general, um, where it was just kind of like, yo, like we're rooting for you. We hope everything gets done. We hope you know Brooklyn does does it and all that stuff. And that was a lot of fun to to hear. And you know, it was a, it was a feel good story for sure. When you have the path you had in the league, which was second round pick in Detroit, and then you were playing behind, they had some guards in front of you. Mm-hmm. There wasn't much opportunity. You spent a lot of your time in Grand Rapids at yeah. the time, their G League team. And guys who've been in that position will always say, like, they treated every day you feel like can be the last day when mm-hmm. you're fight. This might be my last opportunity. I never, never, never get another look. And they treat it like in practice, every possession matters, never mind yeah. the games. Was that the mindset you take on when you come into the league the way you did and you're fighting to just try to just stay in the league? Definitely, definitely. Um, obviously because of the road and because of, like you said, the situation I came into the league with, you know, you definitely have that, you, you, you kind of feel it right behind your back at all times. It's like it's something hunting you down constantly. And so you definitely have that, I guess, appropriate fear, I guess it is. And, you know, you are going to dive on the floor for that loose ball and do everything that you, you have to do because you understand at a moment's notice it can, it can all be done. The fine line in the NBA between who gets an opportunity, then who makes the most of it. Is it hit you more once you get into the league about how everybody can play and there's so much talent and it's what you do with it. It's mindset. It's a lot of guys fall by the wayside when adversity hits the way it did for you and you don't go in the first round and you, you're fighting out of the G league and, and you see guys just fall off and mentally the mental strength it takes to go from where you were to here. Do you appreciate it even more now that you think of when you think about the path that you've had? Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. I think the best part about the journey is, you know, there's there's no fear anymore. And, and I said that before I signed the deal. It's just, you know, when you've been through all those things and, and you kind of know what it's like, you just. It's just kind of like knowing almost what's what's on the other side of death. Right. There, there's just no fear because, you know, how it feels. You, you've been through that experience and and you've been able to come out relatively um on top but it's it's definitely not an easy grind and 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 i see why you know a lot of a lot of guys weren't able to be in this situation and a lot of times it's to no fault of their own it's just kind of the way the opportunity falls and you know even even my time in brooklyn like it wasn't necessarily designed to to play out this way um unfortunately obviously two teammates got hurt 
and that presented the opportunity for me last year. And that's kind of really why I'm here right now today and can have this conversation with you. And even when like you start performing and you're not just putting numbers up, but you're like, you're doing the things at the position it takes to win games because guys can put empty numbers up in different yeah. places and they're always trying to judge, well, you know, somebody's got to score points on a bad team, right? 100%. Like, 100%. and even then people still don't know whether to take it seriously with you. Well, yeah. He's not like one of the chosen ones. Like, what does it mean? Does it mean anything? Is he just a guy who's playing well enough that now maybe we can trade him? Or it takes a while for people to even take it seriously with mm-hmm. you, right? Mm-hmm. And that that was probably the thing that makes a player in my position the most, I would say, frustrated. You know, just obviously I know uh, I'm not one of the chosen ones, uh, but in your heart, for a guy who, you know, felt and truly believes, like, would have been a lottery pick right if I don't get hurt, I feel like I was supposed to be. So an injury doesn't take that away from me. Something that I can't control doesn't somehow take that talent, that capability, all those things away from me. So if I prove I'm healthy, I'm still that same guy. And and not only healthy, but have proved that I have the work ethic to continue to improve. And now, you know, the it's starting to show in the games and we're on a better path to winning and all these things. And, Oh, I heard that all last year. Well, it's a losing team. Well, you know, is it empty stats, this, that, and the third. And that was one of, that was one of the, by far the most frustrating things. I mean, even this year, you know, uh, when we were kind of struggling a little bit and obviously, you know, being a, a sixth man and all that stuff, they're like, well, if he's that great, why is he still on the bench? If he's that great, like why? You know what I'm saying? If he, I heard, also heard, you know, even though some fans got behind me on December 8th after I wasn't extended, I heard the other thing. Well, if, if Brooklyn don't want to extend him, see, it's because he's on a bad team that he's doing that and, and all those things. So you definitely do hear, um, all those negative things and I, it just adds to the chip. The ability to sort of separate that when you're playing and there's some of that that you can take out on the court with you and it's mm-hmm. a positive and it's in a chip and there's some of it that can paralyze you if you let mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Is that a process in this league of learning what to bring on the court with you and what you cannot walk out into the court with? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think all those, all that negativity, all those things, you know, kind of harnessed it and it, it, it goes into the work ethic and the drive and the focus and all those things, but it's never at the forefront of my mind, especially on the court. You know, those, those things add that, that fuel to the fire, but they don't stay at the forefront of my mind. You know, when, um, when I'm on the court, it's all about doing whatever is necessary to try to win the game. You know, it's, it's about the next play, the next situation, because you can't dwell on things in the past. There's no way to change them. You know, I mean, obviously you can get mad in the moment. You know, maybe you're mad at turnover, missed shot, bad call, whatever it is, you know, but you do have to, let a lot of that go as the game progresses because you have to try to make the the next best decision for in in whatever form or fashion uh that that happens. And the way Brooklyn, the way this organization has kind of fit into this for you like when you look around your locker room, look around the court, you see second, third chance guys. Joe mm-hmm. Harris kind of cast aside yeah. coming into the league. You know, D'Angelo Russell was a second pick in the draft and gets moved out of LA cuz they want to bring another point guard in and you could go, you know, you go up and down your roster and you see that's how Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson have had to without picks. Yeah. Find guys, try to develop them. And it's sort of beyond you is sort of the mentality of the group. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, that common thread kind of ties us and bonds us all together. And so having been through some of 
the uh, dungeons type situations, um, we we just have a, a certain respect for the opportunity and for the NBA that that some may not. And um, I think that's that's part of what makes our group so special. When you got drafted in Detroit and came in and there wasn't a lot of opportunity, you're in the G League a lot. Were there points there where you said, is anyone going to see that I can play? Am I ever going to get to show it? Am I going to be cast aside in this league before I get the opportunity? Or did you always think, I will get it somewhere sometime, that I, I won't be held down by this circumstance? Oh, no, nah, there, there's certainly some doubts, you know, uh, just because you've had conversations with, with other guys and, and all that stuff that, you know, and you've heard some of the horror stories. So there's, there's definitely some of those doubts. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for, for my confidence was how I was playing in practice, um, against Brandon, against DJ, against Reggie, you know, and so I, I knew in my heart, obviously, because of the things that I was able to do in practice that I belonged in the league and was more than capable of being a, a, a very good player in the league. It was just, you know, if, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around, like the sound don't matter. It, it, whether it makes a sound or not, it, it just doesn't matter. Um, so there was some of that, uh, you know, I, I guess doubt about the opportunity ever coming. Especially then when you're going after guys with bigger contracts, those guys don't always want to be challenged and practice the way, mm-hmm. who's this guy who won't get off of me? Yeah, right? Like, yeah. you know, I know Patrick Beverly had that when he came yeah. in, he would go after guys and, like coaches would have to almost pull them off of guys in practice. Yeah. And that sort of has to be your mantra if you're going to make oh, it. Sure. Right. You've got to be that guy. For sure. 100%. Uh, there, there, there's no room not to be because when you're in the situation that, you know, I've been in, a lot of other guys have been in, it's all about pointing out what you can do rather than celebrating what you can do. You know, and, uh, you know, when I, during, during my time in Detroit, all people ever want to talk about was, oh, I, I didn't make threes and stuff like that on a very low volume of attempts. But I've been a three to one assist turnover ratio guy like my whole career. You know what I mean? So there, there were things that if you wanted to talk about him, you wanted to talk about him being a good passer from the moment that he stepped into the league, you could have done that. But that wasn't, you know, what was, what was talked about. And that's just kind of the way it goes for guys that are in this situation that, uh, that I've been in, you know, and I mean, obviously now I'm kind of sort of on the other side of it, but a lot of guys don't make it to the other side. Were the hardest moments for you the first couple of years, Grand Rapids, G League travel, is that that league can wear you up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we had one trip one time where we played a, a game at Grand Rapids. I think it ended maybe 1030 or something like that. And then we had like, I think I want to say like a six hour bus ride to Erie and played that next day at like five in the afternoon. Oh, that was that was probably the worst G League trip I've been a part of because sometimes you're not even on like the big tour buses. You're on like smaller buses, you know, kind of like baggage claim type buses. <laughs> and it's like, bro, like a six hour drive at, after, you know, you just played a game. Like it, it was that was that was tough, especially when you're going when you're up with the Pistons and then you're down. You go from you land with a charter flight like uh-huh. you don't even have to walk outside. They have it. So you stay mm-hmm. indoor. Right. It's. You appreciate it then, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, the the NBA travel and all that stuff, I mean, it's it's hard, but it's it's not anything compared to the G League. When you were coming out of Colorado, you had tore your ACL mm-hmm. early in your junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, you were headed to be all Pac-10. Team was good. And so you, you get injured, but you entered that draft. Was there any point thought at that point of, do I heal? Do I get right and then come back and play a senior year? Or obviously you left, 
But when you have that kind of injury, then you can't work out for teams. Mm. You drop into the 30s like you did. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I first got hurt, I thought I had to go back uh, 100%. And then, you know, when, when I got the full di- diagnosis after, you know, the MRI and then subsequently surgery and they talked about, you know, both meniscuses being torn and the MCL also being torn and all that stuff. And they're like, yo, you – you know, you may not return to a high level basketball and if you do it's gonna take at least, you know, a year to to get there and all that stuff. I man, I was in tears and all that. And I I, I definitely thought I had to go back at that point. Um you know, I the after the first couple months of uh recovery and rehab and all that stuff, I was like way ahead of where uh I was supposed to be and that's kinda when, you know, my mindset really started flirting with the idea of like, you know what, I think I'll I, I may still leave. I may still enter, and uh, you know, just just made that decision. I was I was mentally prepared to to go in the second round, and so I wasn't I wasn't fearful of that. Um, obviously, I'd never been to NBA before, and I didn't know that my role was going to end up this hard. Uh, but I was at at the at that time in that moment, I was mentally prepared. I said, okay, I know I probably won't go in the first round. I'm fine with that. I want to be in the NBA. Let's do it. When you have that devastating of a knee injury, you have multiple ligaments, was there a part of you that then said, oh, maybe I should have went to Harvard, which I don't know if everybody <laughs> knows. You were you had big-time grades, big-time SATs, yeah, yeah. and were recruited by Harvard, could have went there, and it was yeah. Harvard, Colorado, right? Like yeah. that was the pretty clear choices, like pretty, yeah. you know, very different choices, right? Yeah, yeah. Those, those were my top two. Um, fun fact for everybody that didn't know. And your mom yeah. worked in education, so yeah. that was like yeah. My mom was a professor at USC. Yeah. Uh, that that thought was one of the ones that crossed my mind when I immediately, you know, got in the immediate aftermath when I thought, you know, I couldn't really go back or I couldn't couldn't go to draft and maybe I should have because obviously you walk out of Harvard, you guaranteed to have a six figure job and live the rest of your life fairly comfortably. But I mean, I made the Colorado decision. Because I wanted to play in the Pac-12, I believed in Coach Boyle and and what what he was building, and I wanted to go to the NBA. Like, and I wanted to leave early. Like, I was I was a guy who was 150th in his high school class, but thought he was going to the league in two years. I mean, that's just like my mindset. Once I decide or believe that I can do something, it's it's there. It's it's not it it. I, and I don't question it. it. Just it's a feeling. Like I believe it. What's a recruiting trip to Harvard like? You went? Did you take a visit? <laughs> yeah, What's yeah, I like? did. Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, it's. It's fairly similar to to other schools. I mean, the dorm situation is a little bit different. Like it, it's unique because it's Harvard. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, but in terms of like the the recruiting experience is very similar to other recruiting experiences. Was it difficult in the end? I mean, did you think long and hard about doing it? Um, yeah, I did, and especially because uh, my family. Not, not so much my immediate family, not so much my mom and dad. They were pretty much like, we're rocking with whatever decision you make. But my family in general, like right outside of that, a lot of them pushed Harvard heavy. And I mean, I, my family's not a very like athletic focused family. You know, obviously my mom being a professor and then, uh, her siblings graduating from UCLA and stuff like that. They're, they're very academic focused. So they thought it was a no brainer and they were all, you know, pretty much pushing the, the Harvard, Harvard choice. But, you know, uh, having my parents behind me and, and, like I said, I, I thought I'm going to the NBA in a couple of years, so how, which, which one gets me there? Right. And and so that's a main reason why I made my decision. Once you start bouncing around a little bit, Pistons, mm-hmm. 
to Windy City Bulls, right? The <laughs> yeah. Windy City Bulls were like yeah. like 20 points a game for however many games yeah. you were there. The Nets were a pretty good break. Like it was a three-year deal. It like, you know, minimum money. Yeah. But it was you were the kind of player that when you look at like rebuilds in Philly, yeah. like Philly goes through a rebuild and they they sign Robert Covington to a similar mm-hmm. deal. TJ McConnell makes the team. You start to see those teams taking flyers on guys. Yeah. And then in Brooklyn, you were that kind of a guy. Like, hey, we're, yeah. we're going to take a chance on a guy who, you know, gives you a little security yeah. and gives you a lot of opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, no, after, after bouncing around a little bit and, and, and the getting cut twice uh, by the Bulls thing, like, that was that was rough. Uh, the the Windy City experience, though, was, was actually – fun it was one of the first times i'd had fun with basketball in, in a minute um nate lindsey kind of just gave me gave me the ball and was like yo i i believe in you i know you feel like you should have made the chicago team it is what it is like he was in training camp obviously with us and saw that i played well and all that stuff and was like you know get yourself out mm-hmm. and so i i kind of had fun with that experience um, which, which was good and, and got me here. And obviously, uh, like you said, they took a flyer and that's kind of the typical flyer type contract. And, uh, I just happened to be fortunate enough to out, outplay it. Was the Bulls camp experience as frustrating of a situation you had been in when you looked at like just not oh, being able to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, and, and it, it just, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I'm saying that and I'm still, uh, you know, friends with Michael Carter-Williams, Jaron Grant, you know, some of the guys that obviously I got cut over. Uh, and obviously that has nothing really to do with them. Um, it's just kind of what happens. I'm the non-guaranteed guy. It's what, if, if you got three guards that are all 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and, and you feel like they can't really shoot it and you're trying to pair them with Rondo, Jimmy, and D-Wade and figure it out. And obviously, uh, MCW was a lottery pick and, and, uh, JG was a first rounder too. They just got from New York mm-hmm. in, a, in the D Rose trade. Right. The non guaranteed dude is gone. Like, you, know, you know, it's so funny. You think of like NFL training camps versus NBA. It's why the NBA preseason doesn't really get any attention. Like baseball spring training, people pay attention to football training camp. But in basketball, it's like you can look at a roster and almost any team and before training camp and know exactly who's going to make the team oh, yeah. without knowing what anybody's going to do during the camp. It's really hard to over football. Everything's not guaranteed. You're winning, losing jobs. Baseball, all of a sudden some guy makes the big team, but the NBA camp is almost irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's designed to, you know, maybe fill that very last spot or, and obviously build your team, get your team to advance and coalesce and all those things and then figure out who you're going to have on your G League team. That's kind of the way it it really is built, just like to your point, because contracts are guaranteed. So um, when when the move was made, uh, you know, the to, to me at least, and I, I obviously didn't get cut right after we or they traded for uh, MCW, but the writing was on the wall to me. It, it just it, – it wouldn't make sense to carry like four – for five PGs, however many we had at the time, and you had a non-guaranteed deal that you could easily get off of. So it was just kind of math at that point. When you get to Brooklyn and all of a sudden the injuries start, Jeremy Lin goes down, and all of a sudden there's opportunity, the feeling for you was what? This is what I've been – you don't wish it on people, but when it happens, like, you got to grab onto it. And was the 100%. feeling like this is this is it for me? Like, I've got to – this is the one I've got to make the most of. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, 
so when I first got here, obviously it was it was due to Jalen struggling with his hamstring, and then I believe Sean Kilpatrick also had a hamstring issue as well. And so me and uh, Isaiah Whitehead were kind of splitting the duties, and you know it was about kind of getting in, trying to fit in, figure out you know how guys play, all that stuff, and you know obviously playing with Brooke, and who's a phenomenal player, can do just about anything, and just really trying to because I came in what twenty five games later or something like that. So it was about trying to. You know, just just get in, fit in, figure it all out, um, and continue to work at the continue the upper trajectory, continue improving. Uh, the second year, obviously, uh, I mean, I, I went into camp trying to make a statement that I was the best player there, like knowing that Jalen and D'Lo would start and all that stuff. Like that's the way the NBA works; it is what it is. But I wanted to go there and show that. And um, you know, when the injuries went down, I approaches like anything else like when when I step on the court for those 48 minutes I believe like I'm the best player on the floor like that's just how I operate how I function um and you know people think I'm crazy but the the first start that second year I believe was against uh the Cavs at home and you know hit the game winner against like LeBron and them so you being able to function in that manner is is part of the reason why I'm here you know what I mean you talk about starting to get people to look at you differently and like carve an identity out in the league. And I think that's hard for, like you said, you go into college and you think I'm going to be a two and done guy. I'm going to be a lottery mm-hmm. pick. And I think what happens for a lot of guys is when it doesn't happen that way, they're not quite sure how to react or how to recreate themselves or how to adjust maybe their expectations. Like I go out to that G league showcase. I was out in Vegas for a couple of weeks ago and you just look at guys on the court and some guys are starting to get it later. But there's almost like that guy who becomes that 23, 24-year-old guy in the league who maybe he's a lottery pick. He washes out. And either he picks himself back up and figures yeah. out, all right, I'm not going to be a star. I'm not going to be a max guy. But I've got to figure out what my role is to stay in this league. And I don't think people pay attention enough. Like, that's what you did. You figured yeah. out. And the role I think you're playing now is what you always imagined, which was I'm a six six point guard and yeah. I'm going to play it. But, like, I, I just think figuring that out and then – not losing your confidence when yeah. it's easy to lose yeah. your confidence and not have it oh, left. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, you got to remember like part of part of like the whole whole thing in Detroit in terms of like trying to make sure you get Dre's touch when you're out there or whatever and trying to make the most of every single opportunity, every single situation and not wanting to make a mistake kind of you 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 start to see that in the play and then you know uh coming here and kind of making more mistakes and, and figuring it all out and putting it all together and all that stuff. I mean, I honestly, I would give the credit to that development, not basketball-wise, just in terms of, like, mental, like, mindset and all that stuff to my parents because they're a, they're very big on no excuses. You know, it's you you just have to figure it out. That's the way life works. Like, whether it was fair, unfair, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It happened. You know what I mean? So even – one of the best stories to show that right right after I got hurt um, my mom actually meets me in Colorado like so we fly back from Washington um have the MRI all that stuff boom whatever and um I'm in my room and, and I'm and I'm crying I'm sitting on the bed I'm crying right and, and uh it was it was super late at night uh, uh yeah because I, I I woke up I rolled over you know, and, and it kind of set in like, oh, my, my knees like really messed up because I was going to get up to go to the bathroom or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, I ended up having a conversation with my mom. And my mom was like, obviously you're crying. Like, all right, Spence, what is it that you want to do? 
And, you know, I'm telling her, I'm like, look, I, I still want to go to the NBA. Like, I, I want to figure it out. And she said, well, then do it. That simple. You know what I mean? She, she looked at me and said, well, Spence, do it. You know what I mean? If, if that's what you're serious about, if that's what you believe in, that's what you dream, then you put a hundred percent energy into that. And then if it works out, it does. And if it doesn't, you recalibrate, reevaluate and, and move on. Like, but sitting here being like, Oh man, like this sucks. You're not going if you do that. So. I know one, she basically approached me like, I know one thing. If you sit here and you, you function in that manner, you won't go to the NBA. So either you decide that you're going to do it and figure it out or do something else. And that's the way my parents are. And so that's the way that my mind works. Once you get the contract here and you look at your play, you've even elevated since the deal. You're not like no fall off. And is there a tangible thing you feel when you go out where you're like, maybe you're not as, I don't say you're taking more risks, but it doesn't hang over you. Do you feel it when you're out playing that that contract thing doesn't hang over me? I got it, and now I can just play. Or does it not feel any different at all? Um, for me, and, and I hope nobody takes this the wrong way because this is not a arrogance or confidence thing or, or whatever, the money didn't change anything because I was pretty sure that there, I, at the end of this, whether it was at the end of this year or whatever it was, I was going to get an amount that would effectively be able to retire my parents, right. which is what I did with this or what I'm going mm-hmm. to do with this, right? Mm-hmm. So with that being like the first step, it was like that. that's just what it was. In terms of how I feel about myself as a basketball player, like I want to win championships. I want to, you know, lead a team to championships. Like that is – that's the goal. So – I haven't accomplished that as a player. Like there, I, in, in my own opinion, I haven't done anything right. really. You know what I mean? In terms, like I've done some nice, cool stuff, right? Like it's all skills challenges and whatever, but I haven't gotten to that goal, to that, you know, pinnacle that I'm trying to, to attain. So as a player, like the, the, I'm at the bottom of the mountain. I'm still trying to get to where I want to get to. Um, the best part about, you know, like I said, the deal is, I get to do that stuff off the court with, with my parents, which, you know, sign of ultimate respect, gratitude, all those things. And so in, in that aspect, you know, I'm super happy in terms of myself as a basketball player. It doesn't, doesn't change anything. We're, we're fighting for the playoffs. Um, we're what a game out or something like that. Game and a half out. Pretty amazing from where you were when Karis went down <laughs> and to think, I mean, you guys were playing great with him. He yeah. was breaking out and, and then you went out and then all of a sudden you go on and then, you guys picked yourselves right back up again, mm-hmm. and you're right back in the playoff chase. With, and it is within sight of him. He's going to come back this year. Oh yeah, and it's not crazy to think about the Nets in the playoffs, even with the injury to him. Yeah, yeah. And so you know that that's just kind of like the the mindset. You know, as, as as a basketball player, we're in the middle of the season. This this isn't you know July one. Oh, they they dropped a a bunch of money on the table and, and uh, oh, let's go party or something. Right. You know what I mean? Like this, right. we're in the middle of the season. We're fighting for something very tangible, very within reach that, that, you know, we all in that locker room believe in. And if my focus was on anything else except for helping us to try to win games, then, you know, it, it would be a disservice to, to the group. Are you an easy point guard for Kenny Atkinson to coach? Are you difficult for him? Depends what day of the week it is. What, yeah. what are the, what's the challenge for you with him, your relationship with him? Uh, you have ideas about things. Yeah, yeah. So I would say, uh, 
I think it just all it, it all depends on which Spence and which Kenny we're we're, <laughs> we're talking about. You know, uh to your point, um I definitely am opinionated. Uh and so is he. Uh sometimes obviously depending upon which Spence and which Kenny we're more receptive uh to each other. Well, most very good point guards are, right? You have Thank to be. You. Right. Uh, I appreciate it. I believe right. so. I, believe I mean, so. let's go through the league and look at great point guards. Like they're not yeah. not wallflowers. Yeah. Them, right. No, hundred um, percent. I think uh, you know, and then sometimes I'm also going to shoot a step back three that Kenny don't like, so <laughs> he might get mad at that. But but in general, I mean, we have a very good relationship um, in terms of not making like stupid mistakes. He trusts me not to do that, and I think I've proven that. You know, something I'm not going to do. Uh, so I would say in, in, in those aspects, uh, very, very easy. <laughs> when you're in the league, in the role you've been in until now, which is now you're becoming a more prominent role, but when you're in the league and you're a role player, you're a fringe player, explain to people how shoe deals work. Like oh. whether you're wearing Nike or whether you're wearing Adidas it's basically like a merch deal, yeah. right? Which means what? Yeah. Oh, a merch deal just means, you know, they're, they're going to send the game shoes to the team and, uh, you're going to get a certain allotment on a, on a website and you'll, you'll get your family and friends can kind of split that and don't get twisted. It's not a lot. It's not unlimited. It's, you know, you might be 15, 20, uh, thousand worth of Nike sweats and stuff like that. And, uh, that's what you got. You got your game shoes and you got that like 15 grand or 20 grand or whatever to split between you and your, your family. And, and, uh, it, it's cool, but then you, you kind of start to realize that, that there's possibly more out there. And obviously, you know, having a more prominent role being in Brooklyn, all those things help, but you know, just, just any NBA player in general, there's, there's a certain intrinsic value to, uh, you being associated with the NBA, just being a part of it. And so, you know, uh, Trying to trying to take it take advantage of some of that, and you had that in the league for a while, uh-huh. and then you said, "I don't want to do it that way anymore. I'm going to yeah. do what?" Yeah. So basically, when I when I got back to Brooklyn, uh, no marquee brand wanted to sign me. Uh, and I was like, "Dang, that's that's cold." Like I know I'm 25 games late, but I'm in the NBA again. Like I at least take you know whatever it is, probably do whatever, and. Um, you know, kind of got the response like, oh, they're going to reevaluate. They'll send you the game shoes, but they're going to reevaluate, uh, at the beginning of next season or whatever. And I'm like, man, I, I was, I wasn't happy to, to say the least. Uh, it just so happened that I'm also a guy who likes sketches shoes and stuff like that. And so that's kind of when I started to think about it. Um, and it's, it's, it's not an easy process if, if, uh, you're trying to do it, you know, completely yourself um obviously uh my partners at project dream helped uh and facilitated you know the the building of the shoe and all that stuff which was super dope like even though i drew it like they facilitated the actual like bringing it to life um so they made that process very easy but uh yeah i mean that that's when the whole idea of like being or having your own brand all that stuff kind of started and you see how uh people are able to capitalize on instagram and and all that stuff uh you know, millions of followers and whatever. And, and, you know, you just realize the true power that your individuality has. And so you sketched out for an 82 game season, a different shoe, sometimes based on where you're playing, like you're playing Mm -hmm. in the Bay area, playing the Warriors and you had a Kaepernick shoe, like, like an ode to Colin Kaepernick or at home to different things. Then on the road, Miami, Dwayne Wade, like, yeah. 
what was the process of 82 games a lot and like some, yeah. sometimes you're just playing in portland right you're just playing <laughs> you're just playing the, the blazers man there's not yeah, much yeah, yeah. right but you've yeah. got to like how do i come up with something that yeah. has some meaning yeah um some are easier than others yeah some 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 spots are definitely easier than others uh so i drew the 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 actual shoot so the physical shoot the base right um that everybody sees and i play in uh, the actual artwork is done by uh uh a guy named kakaso um He's very good, like one of the more prominent shoe guys. He does a lot of stuff with NFL cleats, uh, less basketball stuff, but you know, he's, he's been killing it. Um, me and my best friend actually sat down and picked a hundred things that are important to me. And then we started matching them up, uh, city to city, um, and, and filled in the gaps and all that stuff when the schedule came out. So that's, that's really kind of how the, the concept kind of originated when, when we knew that the, the shoe was going to be ready and, and perfect and all that stuff. Um, I, I was like, yo, I went, I went to my guy. I was like, yo, like what would be an innovative, like way to launch? Like how could we do something really special? And, and that was what we came up with. We pitched it to, um, or I pitched it to, you know, my partners at Project Dream. They were all for it. They're like, let's do it. Um, Kakaso signed on for it and the rest is history. <laughs> Did it cost you money to do this? Uh, no. So that, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the coolest part about, you know, having them as partners i'm um, obviously uh building your shoe on your own if uh you were to go to uh like i guess china by yourself like right. just completely by yourself um obviously that would cost you money and yeah. all that stuff uh so it it's kind of a traditional ish setup in terms of just like interacting with them as as brand partners but obviously um i have my own brand i can do what i want with it um like i said 25.08 percent of the proceeds go to charity i did that specifically because those are my numbers. And so it's, there's just so more, so much more flexibility and, right. and, and control and autonomy and all, all those things. Um, and doing it this way, it's just that they have the infrastructure to do it. They have the factory relationships to be able to, you know, facilitate, uh, that production and all that. Whereas like for me, obviously it'd be harder. And it's like for you, it's one thing to, you know, be able to do the designs and have some meaning behind all of them. But you've also got to have a shoot like you're playing in the NBA. Yeah, it's got to be a quality shoe. That, oh, 100%. right. Like it's a, like there's no more important equipment you can have. Exactly. Than your shoe's got to be right. Exactly. And and that was that was uh, something that we iterated and wear tested uh, many times to to get to the point because obviously uh, being as serious about my craft as I am, um, and then obviously having fought through the the stuff that I fought through, I wasn't going to get to this point. Uh, you know, and, and put some on my feet that was going to hinder that uh, trajectory of that growth on the court like that, that would have been asinine. So, you know, um, yeah, that was, that was important. I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to plan anything or, or release anything that was, that was less than quality. And your foundation and part of what you do, right, is you'll help young people with college, sort of the, mm -hmm. the gap between yeah. the tuition room and board bill and what, they have like filling yeah. those gaps for some yeah. kids right yeah so uh my college scholarship program launched last year uh, we sent two kids to college on um to your point gap coverage it ends up being basically a four-year full renewable scholarship but in ours they do still apply for fafsa and uh the traditional type of financial aid and then whatever they get we cover the rest so that's the way that our scholarship program uh, works and the reason why we can't technically call it a full scholarship is because if it is full then we have to cover every single thing um it is technically termed gap because we cover every single thing that fafsa and the traditional 
uh, things that don't obviously traditional financial aid systems that they don't like obviously have to pay for or whatever don't cover. Like, are you finding now, like, as your career has grown, as your stature has grown, as your play has grown, that in this day and age, sort of everyone crafts sort of their own story in this league mm-hmm. and your own pathway and the shoes different. Like, there's some people who may not, you know, there's a whole shoe culture that they're fascinated with what you're doing night in, night out Yeah, with your sneakers more so than they even care about the league. <laughs> but that's yeah. okay because yeah. it's a way for them to know who you are. But that this day and age like you're active on social media, that you can create an identity in this league in a way you probably couldn't even five years ago. 100%. And I mean, I think a lot, a lot of that has to do with social media. Um, you can use that to write your story however you want to write it. And uh, the the more that the world, that there's less of a third party, the more that the world becomes peer-to-peer, um, you know, the, the, the more authenticity that uh, people are going to, seem to have and more authentic relationships people are going to seem to have. So, um, that, that's social media is a big reason why, um, that happens because traditionally, obviously going back and I wasn't necessarily in the league at that time, but I'm assuming if I wanted to get something out, I have to go to, you know, Aaron first, tell him I want to talk to you. Aaron Harris, that's yeah, PR. Aaron Harris PR. And then he'd call you, say that, you know, Hey, Spencer wants to talk to you. Then I have to talk to you. And then you have to relate a message to the people and then the people can take what they want from it, but they, they don't feel, they may not even feel like it's coming from me. Even though you have quotes in the article from me, it still feels less personal than if I send out a tweet and I say, Hey, Aaron Harris is the greatest PR guy in the world. And everybody knows that he is the greatest PR guy in the world. <laughs> have you made any Twitter mistakes, social media mistakes? If you had like pull one ball, man, I shouldn't have said that. Or you've been pretty, cause it's easy to do. It only takes a second. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so far I haven't been the victim of like Twitter searches, like going, when they go back to like 2012 <laughs> or, you know right. what I'm saying? Something like that right. and, and pull up something that you right. said that was stupid. Um, obviously, uh, we all are young and we, at some point in time, we all grow up and, and I'm sure I've said something on there. So I'm not inviting people to search my Twitter, <laughs> but, um, of late, I no, can't really remember. Not in the moment. Yeah. yeah. Do you read your mentions? Do you go through your mentions and look at them? So oh, say? yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do. Like, not not like with a fine-tooth comb. So, right. like, I definitely miss stuff. But, you know, uh, every now and then, especially because I think one thing that social media does do for a lot of guys in the NBA, it allows them to feel like the uh, the dead space. So, you know, you, you get on the bus and you're riding to the plane, you know, and you've got, let's say, a 20-minute ride to the plane and, you know, Let's say you already know on the planes you watch film and that's your film time. Uh, you still got maybe that dead space for that 20 minutes and maybe you don't feel like talking to your, your parents or your friends or whatever at that point in time. So maybe you, you know, fill it with social media during that time. So I think that's kind of. I've heard coaches and even some veteran guys say to me that what they think's been lost, like the bus rides with teams where guys would be talking ball. Yeah. That it ends up everyone's just on their phone and there's not the communication with groups, even in the locker room. Yeah. Like you, you and I both know there are guys who come in at halftime and they're reading their mentions in the middle of the game. You know that oh, goes on. I, personally, <laughs> I have never seen that in the Nets locker room, but I will say that I've seen that before. And it's a thing of, first of all, like it would be probably good if you were listening to like what was going on at halftime, but, yeah. but in that moment, like you, you shoot one for six in the first half and all of a sudden everyone's like, you suck. You stink. Oh, yeah. And then some guys can't, like, some guys can look at it and move on. And some guys are like, yeah, some they, guys they get really paralyzed, take it. but like, it's not healthy. Oh, yeah. It's definitely for a lot of, for a lot of people. I mean, it, it's hard. And I mean, you know, obviously our, our jobs are on display. We're, 
we're in a lot of ways the modern day gladiators. Um, not maybe to the extent that the NFL is, but you know, just, just in general. Um, you're out there. Your work is yeah, out there for everyone to exactly. see. Exactly. And, and it's also yeah. out there for public criticism as well. And so, you know, I know for a lot of guys, it, it is tough. Spencer, man, this was great. I'm glad we finally got to do <laughs> one of these. I'm happy for all the success you've had, the new deal and, and this team that like, like isn't going away in the yeah. East. Like you guys keep coming. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you get your shows. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.